Okay, so I've been trying to figure out the back and forth. I don't really care about a government shutdown, but um, I'm interested in where they come to an agreement, either before it shuts down for a couple days or, or after, on funding for the wall, because Trump says he's going to hold tight, but there are some rumblings in the last 24 hours that it'd be billion and a half dollars somewhere along there would be provided, and that would be good enough for Trump to sign it. I don't know. We need to find out with somebody who knows what they're talking about. David Drucker joins us from the Washington Examiner. He's their chief congressional correspondent and one of the leading lights of journalism in the Beltway. David, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? How's the leading light of journalism business treating you? (laughs) Yeah, I was looking for a snarky way to come back at that, but I kind of like it. I might actually adopt that as my slogan. Awesome. Yeah, well, we're snarky guys ourselves, but we think highly of you. So, listen, before we get into the whole shutdown, the argument, the issues, the rest of it, let's just get this out front. It's all kind of silly. I mean... We're talking about a segment of the government shutting down briefly, affecting very few. I mean, it's just it's not a national crisis. Well, it's definitely not a national crisis. Uh, people do find tend to find government shutdowns silly, which tends to impact their opinion of the government and the politicians running the government. But no, it's not a national crisis. Okay. So where are we going to end up on the negotiations? Is Trump going to he he said last week we all remember Nancy and uh and Trump and Schumer and poor Pence in the corner with his mouth shut discussing this and uh and Trump was holding the 5 billion dollars and Nancy and, and Schumer were saying no way. So where are we now? Well, I don't know that we're anywhere. Right now the president is possibly holding firm to his 5 billion request, although There are some signals out of the administration that they might be willing to bend on that. The Democrats are not going to bend because they see no political incentive to delivering to Trump what he wants and to appearing to be the ones that have um, uh, caved. And if I were them, I probably would think the same thing. And, of course, in a couple of weeks, they're going to have actual power. And why wouldn't you want to negotiate when you actually have some power? That will bring some responsibility to the matter, and they won't be able to just blame Republicans for flailing all around. But uh, I can completely understand why Democrats do not want uh, to deliver on Trump's request. And, you know, we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's interesting you said the power brings some responsibility. I heard a journalist posit yesterday that Republicans are looking forward to being in the minority in the House, where you can always just blame the uh, <laughs> the majority for everything. There's got there's got to be a certain truth to that. Well, I think there are some members of the House of Representatives in the Republican Party that could care less about being in the majority. I think most of them don't understand what it's like, and once they're in it, they're going to realize how awful it is. Because in the Senate, if you're in the minority, because of 60 votes and because of other procedural uh, rules about how the Senate operates, you still have a decent amount of power to affect things. But in the House, when you're in the minority, you're nothing but a no vote. And you have no say, and you have no power, and you don't matter, and nobody cares about you. And there are far too many Republicans that got here uh, after 2010 that they just have no clue. They somehow think they're still going to impact policy. There's you know, that they're going to be influential. And really, the only way that that will happen is if Pelosi 
has trouble keeping her caucus unified around um, policy and bills, especially when they when they have to go through the Republican Senate and the president. Um, but, but if Pelosi can do that, it's going to be wilderness time for Republicans in the House, and eventually they will come to despise it. Well, yeah, and I believe that to be true of a lot of them. On the other hand, it's a measure of how disgusting the politics game is that uh, a lot of them will think, all I have to do is spout, oh, the Democrats are ruining America. Right. If only we were in charge. Right? And you never have to deliver. So that's the, you know, the admirable part of being in the minority. All you have to do is talk a good game. Well, look, that's true, guys. And like I said, I, there, there, there's, a, there's a caucus in there that, that is going to be perfectly happy in the minority. Because the whole reason they're in Congress and the, the whole way they operate has nothing to do with actually exercising power. They don't care about exercising power. Uh, they're really there on a philosophical mission and, you know, for other reasons. And, and, you know, everybody needs a philosophical center. But when you really exercise power, you have to make compromises. You just do. And so if you're not the kind of uh, politician that is willing to vote for compromises and take less than you would prefer, you know, the, the majority is not for you. And if you're not the kind of politician that cares about exercising power, then the majority is not for you. Most of these guys, though, however, and women, you know, guys for everybody, they eventually realize that when you can't ever do anything, it's actually rather frustrating, <laughs> and, it's not that, and it's not that fun. And when they realize that, you know, people like me don't really want to talk to them all that much anymore... That alone is a problem because all of a sudden their media bandwidth shrinks, and that's not something that's very fun. And they're, the reason they work so hard to get back into the majority is because, really, they don't like being in the minority. I mean, it, they don't go through all of that work, all of that fundraising, all of, you know, it's a lot of hard work to get back into the majority. It may not happen right away. But they do it because it's no fun to be in the minority. We're talking with David Drucker, senior political correspondent, Washington Examiner. Back to the specifics of the wall. How do the various Dems, including Nancy Pelosi, get away with this talk about I will I will never vote for the wall because it's immoral when they have voted multiple times for either walls or fences or things that accomplish the same thing? How do they get away with that? Well, a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, look, if you're in Congress long enough, if you're in public life, life long enough, Circumstances change, politics change, your own opinions change. Uh, things you were for before, uh, you're not necessarily for anymore, or you were for them, but in a totally different context. So I, I think politicians get way too much you know, grief because they voted for something 20 years ago, and now they don't want to vote for it anymore. How about a couple uh, of years ago in the case of uh, fencing? Right. That, that, I get that, but, but there's another component to this. Um, if you're a Democrat right now and you look at the midterm elections and you look at how the president has been marketing immigration and you're thinking that it didn't go over all that well. So your base doesn't like the president's uh, proposals. Uh, independents didn't really like the president's proposals. And you won 40 House seats by opposing the president's proposals. So why are you now all of a sudden going to be itching to deliver on the president's proposals? And I also think on, on immigration, you know, there, there's something I think that may be going on here. And it reminds me about the debate we had about health care during the Obama years with Obamacare. And during those years, whenever you'd ask people if you supported protections for pre-existing conditions or this or that, voters would say yes. And then we'd ask, well, do you support Obamacare? And voters would say no. 
And there was a period during which health care, as defined by President Obama, was not a political winner. If you talk to voters about border security and halting illegal immigration and, you know, building fences or walls or whatever is required at different points along the border to secure the border, they will all say yes. But the way the president discusses these matters has become politically problematic. And there's a difference between voters agreeing or disagreeing with Trump or agreeing or disagreeing with policies. And right now, I think the Democrats may have the upper hand in this, the same way Republicans did with health care when Obama was president. David Drucker of the Washington Examiner on the line. Sorry, Jack, go ahead. I'm just saying that's unfortunate. <laughs> we don't we don't vote on the issues as opposed to whose name is attached to it or, or who it would help. But well, that's sure. just the way it works. You know, David is going to shake his head sadly at our pathetic naivete. But, you know, as a as Are a you youngster, shaking your head sadly there, David? I well, can't I, see. I, let me finish the sentence and you'll begin shaking soon enough. <laughs> um, I think as, as kids were, were brought up to think that the political process is maybe 80% governance and 20% politics and then when you grow up and you realize it's more like the reverse that they get around to actual wise governance and what ought to happen only only incidentally to all of the politicking you know it it makes you a little bit cynical and i'm not saying we ought to teach our kids the truth at an early age you don't want a bunch of cynical seven-year-olds running around Uh, but watching it's pretty uh, pretty discouraging Oh, well, look, I think we I think we ought to teach him the truth. You know, Schoolhouse Rock is a fun cartoon. I liked it when I was a kid, but that's not the way it works. Hmm. And I, I look, I, I struggled for years to explain this to editors, not my current editors. But um, back when I was in California, they'd say nobody cares about politics. And in California, that tends to be true. And I used to try and explain to them. But politics will explain the policy and tell you where the policy's going. And that has always been the case. And it will always be the case. And look, most voters ultimately are not that ideological, at least they don't think they are. They tend to be for the ideology of the politician that they like, that they think is making their life better. So, you know, when Ronald Reagan was president, things were going pretty good. People thought, hey, this conservatism, yeah, sure, I'm for that, because things are good, and Reagan is great, and he's delivering, so I'll be for that. And, but, if, but it wasn't that they had decided necessarily to become conservatives. They had decided that they liked Reagan and trusted Reagan and he said things would get better if people went along with him, and they saw things get better. So that's what they decided they were. But, but that's you know, kind of how voters operate, generally speaking. They want their lives to get better, and if somebody can deliver on that, you know, within reason here, people believe in the First Amendment. They don't want their, you know, most people don't want their guns taken away, all of that stuff. But if you can live within those parameters, voters are pretty flexible. That's uh, depressing. Democracy won't work based on that speech right there. And, and it hasn't. Uh, David Drucker with a little <laughs> dose of realism. Can yeah. you handle it? Uh, David, always enlightening. Thanks a bunch. Good to talk to you. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right. God, so people, people for, for a while, people were against Obamacare because his name was on it. Now I think people are supporting Obamacare because his name is on it, right. not because of the policy. And, this, and the reverse is happening with the wall. A good chunk of people are against border security, even though they're for border security, but that would make Trump happy, so I'm going to be against it. Well, that's a good way to run your life. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Essays, books could be written on this, and we could certainly discuss it at length. We probably ought to grab a break. Mm. Um, You know, I find myself wondering, how long can, you know, ideological purity, I'm talking about like a congressperson or a party running every election cycle, how long can saying the right things and purity with a complete lack of production 
you never actually deliver much. Right. How long can that appeal? Apparently, I guess we just veer back and forth and back and forth. Apparently, quite a while. Yeah. Which is just amazing. Well, I have announced my intention to become the Dr. Bennett Amalu of the rectum. I'm oh, going geez. to do for the intestinal tract what that great doctor has done for the human brain. Do I have to be part of this conversation? I'm going to bring it out into the open. Okay. All right. It's time to grow up. You're going to take away the stigma. Exactly. Grow up and embrace your colon. (laughs) Uh, And we came up with the Comey tape so you could actually hear his smug uh, conversation that he had on Friday. That ought to disappoint you some. Speaking of the low end of the intestinal tract. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over. Is somebody jiggling her? Is that why her voice is going, ah? It's like when you slap your brother on the back to make him talk the way. Ah, I don't know what you mean. So that's uh, Miley Cyrus from Saturday Night Live. That's one of her new singles is the War is Over Happy Christmas song that John right. Lennon made famous. And she sang it with one of Lennon's kids oh, on uh, Saturday Night oh, Live. Golly. But, but my, the reason I wanted uh, Michael to play that is, one, I think it's interesting she covered it. But what war is she talking about? Right. Or or is it just like so many of the social justice warriors throwing on a virtual bandana and acting like you're brave? You know, listen, for all of his sins, John Lennon, his life became hell because he was such an activist against the Vietnam War. He actually sacrificed something and and he was not a drive by activist. He he went to rallies. He delivered lectures. He wrote opinion pieces. Ended up married to depo- Yoko Ono. Exactly. Sacrificed everything. <laughs> Ended up getting deported and everything. So anyway, but but so what war is she referring to though? He he his the song was about the Vietnam War, was it not? The the war to defend the patriarchy, man. Okay, just white wondered. supremacists just or wondered. something. I don't know. Just I'll wondered. bet it's just that vague social justice warrior thing. Hey, how long's the Comey tape? That. The, we, we got about 30, excuse me, you want to play. We got 30-some seconds of it. Yeah, let's hear that. One, uh, unless you want to talk about it a lot. Go ahead. You look at this White House now, and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the sit room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, <laughs> um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough, let's just send a couple guys over. Isn't that hilarious? We didn't follow the normal protocol because we thought we could get away with it. That's right. the way we should but apply But it's okay because it's rules. Trump. It's Trump. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, it is something. I get how people have been tuned, uh, turned from, you know, uncomfortably defending the president, understanding perhaps his flaws and sins, to just being, you know, blanket. I'm for Trump. I'm, I'm not. I, I have no patience for that smugness anymore. Anyway, 
Um, so I'm glad you played that. That's amazing. Uh, transition music, Michael, if you don't mind. Two, three, four. This works so fast. Within two seconds, I've forgotten what we were talking about. Oh, that reminds me. We need to play more of the uh, artificial intelligence gener- generated Christmas music. Uh, we've, we've allowed computers to write our music for us. You want to hear one? Yeah, go ahead. So this one... Then I'll explain why I am going to become the Dr. Bennett Amalu of the human colon. Researchers uh, had oh. artificial intelligence put together what they thought would be great Christmas carols by programming, programming them a certain way. And uh, have we played Cinnamon Holly Bells? I don't believe so, no. Okay. They took popular Christmas songs, and the computer figured out what was popular about them, and then came up with this. And I think if you put words to it, the right words, the right singer... God rest you, Mary Santa Claus. Let sleigh bells be on high, <laughs> or something. Right. <laughs> well, they they should have taught the computer how to play because there are no accents and the phrasing's terrible. And it's it's, it's, it's let sleigh awful. bells be on high. That's a good good motto. All right. So listen here, and we don't have a lot of time, do we? I I need time for this if I'm going to be the uh, Doctor Benedumalu of the 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 colon. And uh, Oprah tried to do this, but. Um, she didn't have the persuasive power of, of me, Joe Getty. So here's the long and short. I've just had hip customization surgery. Um, old people refer to it as hip replacement, but I'm young and I'm cool, so it's hip customization. And there are a couple of uh, things that happen just because you've had surgery and your body says, what did you just do? And everything slows down, shuts down, and focuses on healing, which tends to slow down the digestive system. Plus, I'm taking these narcotics for, you know, pain killing, and they cause unbelievable constipation. And I got the sense, a number of people brought it up to me. They kind of hinted at it. As I was getting ready for the surgery and immediately after, so listen, you might want to, you maybe, and everybody's a little embarrassed right now by this discussion, right? You'll probably want to take a stool softener. They'll, they'll give it to you in the hospital. and Probably want to take that. Maybe if you have a little trouble, you might want to take a little, uh, uh, maybe some prune juice or something. Somebody need look, I know we're talking about poo-poo. Somebody needs to come out and say, if you don't, from moment one, aggress hammer down prunes and eat all the whole grains and drink Metamucil like it's mother's milk. If you don't do that, the De Beers company is going to want to go up your butt because it's going to be like diamonds in there. It's all so hard. Wow. Let's not be shy about human digestion. You're not. You're going to be as stove up as a coal mine if you don't st- start now. For God's sake, boy, start now, it, it shouldn't do you physical damage to merely have a BM. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Big you ruling. tell people that. A big ruling from the Trump administration has just come down. Marshall's going to have that in his news on the Armstrong and Getty Show. a lot of texts about your recent uh, rant there, Joe. Good, good. Uh, people uh, either disgusted by it or who can relate to it. And I just wanted to point this out. Um, 
because Sean has had this experience with painkillers too, and he was a young man. It's not it's not an old person thing. It sounds like an oh, old no. person conversation when you get no. into constipation. The only time it's ever happened to me on my life, cancer treatment when I was on a bunch of painkillers. And if I the only thing I would ever tell anybody if they were going to get something done with painkillers is say, get ahead of the stool softener thing or whatever you're going to take. Right. Because that, that was the most miserable part of the whole thing for me. Well, I, was, I didn't, I, you know, somebody might have mentioned it, but kind of offhand, you might have problems with this or whatever, you know, one of 90 side effects. They right. didn't say, oh, for the love of God, don't let this happen. Right. I was curled up on a ball on the floor for hours. Assume it will be miserable. Oh my and listen, God. I'm, 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 I may have accidentally uh, touched on a humorous note or two, but uh, in the same way that for, for decades, centuries, People got away with terrible sex crimes, including about children and adults, because people were so ashamed to mention their genitals or talk about their reproductive systems. You just didn't. You couldn't. How can I tell you that, for instance, a priest touched mine if I'm not even allowed to mention it? And that was terrible. Now, perhaps we've gone a little far toward the pornographic end of things in modern society. (laughs) Well... Well, listen, there are people, there are people who are ashamed to tell their doctor they have blood in their stool because they're ashamed to talk about their poop, and it can kill them. And so, listen, the, uh, the nurses, wonderful people, everybody I've worked with is terrific, but what they should have said to me, and I'm serious, is, Joe, here's the deal. E- 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 this is almost inevitable. It is severe. Here's what it will feel like. Here's what it will do to your body, because you got to go eventually. And so don't, because I thought I was listening. So I thought I worked in, you know, the, the little pills they gave you, and fine, and yeah, I'll just take wait. Take a till bottle I, of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, take the masked dosage. Hammer down prunes like your life depends on it. Oh, my God. The Metamucil, just everything. It's going to be like the, the, the storming the beaches of Normandy-style effort. Just to, like, break even. Why don't <laughs> yeah. they tell oh, you yeah. that? I don't, I don't know. It may cause constipation. Yeah. God. Yeah. Yes, Sean? Yeah, I, I just uh, since we're all talking about it, sharing our experiences, I was in the bathroom, similar to you, Jack, just curled up in pain on the phone with family members in drugstores saying, hey, do you think this will help? Do you think this will help? And it, it was... It was not a good situation. It is not a minor thing. <laughs> it is not a minor thing. And, Stay and ahead my, of it. I got the exactly, exactly. I got the idea that well, we'll take this little precaution. Then if it comes, maybe you'll have to right. deal with no, it. No, you got to be no, ahead of it. No, no. <laughs> if I ever have to do that again, I hope I don't. Oh my god. Um, uh, let's get to the news now with Marshall Phillips. We're the only radio show in America discussing this this morning. The only one with the courage. It's a public service, Marshall. On an entirely different note, this just coming in, the Trump administration moving to officially ban bump stocks, which allow semi-automatic weapons to fire rapidly like automatic firearms. A senior Justice Department official says bump stocks are going to be banned under the federal law that prohibits machine guns. It's going to take effect in late March. After that, it will be illegal to possess bump stocks. So that just coming in this morning. It's really interesting that... um how long ago was Vegas now? The Vegas shooting. That was it's like uh, a, a year and change. Yeah. yeah, October 2017. And we all, that's when we all learned about bump stocks, and almost everybody of all political stripes thought, yeah, that probably shouldn't be available. And everybody agreed, let's do something about it. And nothing happened till now. 
Yeah, well, this points out one of the difficulties of gun legislation, even if you're in favor of limiting access to various sorts of firearms, is that to write a federal law, you have to define what you're banning. You have to write it out. You have to have little pictures and schematics and the rest of it. And then if somebody can invent something that's functionally the same, but is not in the little schematics, well, then that's not illegal. And, you know, people are clever. They've come up with ways around this stuff. So, you know, who knows? There will be a rattle stock or a jiggle stock, you know, out in a month. Meanwhile, the NAACP is now organizing a week-long boycott of Facebook after two reports prepared for the Senate found that one of the main targets in Russia's social media disinformation campaigns during the presidential election was black Americans. The protest called hashtag logoutfacebook begins today. NAACP also returned a donation they got from Facebook. The organization urging people to take part in the boycott, quote, to signify to Facebook that the data and the privacy of its users of color matter more than its corporate interests. Wow. This is an interesting development. Yep. Yep. The NAACP is boycotting Facebook. Yep. And talking about privacy. Wow. And it goes on to say, and we want to recognize that users of color have a right to be protected from propaganda and misinformation, but they are really angry. Oh, it's a desperate ploy for donations. I mean, anybody with a human soul understands that it doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, or, or striped like a damn zebra. Uh, you deserve privacy. You, you deserve to have your, uh, your data protected and the rest of it. They're just making it people of color so they can get donations. U.S. Surgeon General is issuing a rare advisory on indoor vaping. He is urging cities to impose local bans and more taxes on e-cigarettes because of new data showing that teen vaping rates are skyrocketing. Dr. Jerome Adams issued the advisory 24 hours after the report came out that showed more than one out of five high school seniors admits vaping nicotine in the last 30 days. So the Surgeon General has come out against uh, vaping. Well, and I'm still wondering, is it harmful, just the nicotine? Or is it like uh, enjoying a couple of cups of coffee in the morning and you feel kind of iffy if you don't get them? And I, I, I don't know. I'm not that concerned with, quote-unquote, the, the rate of increase of something that didn't exist two and a half years ago. So, yeah. so going from zero people to some people doing it is a gigantic increase. But, but again, I, I, I don't know. I'm very into the idea of protecting America's youth against some of these insidious forces that are making them depressed, suicidal, drug-dependent, etc. But I don't want to join in mindless alarmism either. Well, he goes on to say he's concerned that e-cigarettes are turning teen vapors into adult smokers because they get them hooked on nicotine at an early age. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. You'd have to be an idiot not to see the connection there. Yeah, but sure. What changes a kid who's vaping into a, a smoker? I don't know. It seems like vaping would be easier and cheaper, and you know it's less harmful. So well, I don't know. you don't have to be 150 feet from an entrance or what have right, you. Right. Right. All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Thank you, Squawky the Eagle. I'm not going to read them, but we got about a thousand texts about your difficulties. Look at me, afraid to say the word. It's crap. It's crap? It's crap. I think it's interesting that many of the words that we use to describe a, a, a solid waste are considered obscenities. When nothing could be more universal. No, you can't get much more natural than that. Right. More uh, common. 
Right, and it's an important part of health. How did it ever? And be- it shouldn't feel like you're like the victim of something in prison when you're merely trying to have your morning uh, constitution. How did we become a, a species that pretends that doesn't happen? For what reason? The Victorian era. You're blaming it on that? Yes. Hmm. Like so much. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Um, more AI-created Christmas songs, among other things, coming so up. So far, they've been terrible. <laughs> San Diego is now the fourth in the nation. The fourth in the nation of what? We'll tell you that. Okay. More. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say I've on a never like this Christmas, Christmas song. Wow, anti-Hawaiian bias? Um, maybe I would like the new artificial intelligence created song where they programmed a bunch of computers that, that had listened. The computers had listened to all the most popular Christmas songs. Boy, and, so far they've uh, been terrible. And created through artificial intelligence a popular Christmas song. Play one we haven't heard yet, Sean. Whichever one you like. Uh, let's go Coco Jolly Fluff. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like it could be a Van Hagar song. Eddie jumps in right here, and then there's some lyrics. <laughs> well, wait a minute. This is just... Uh... Sounds like a song I've heard. Yeah, this is plagiarizing uh, 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 silver bells. Not silver bells. Uh, ding, ding, a ling, ding, ding, a ling. I don't remember the name I, of that song. My I, wife is yelling it at the uh, the radio. Thank you, next. Is that it? <laughs> yes, that's it. So that was uh, that was Coco Jolly Fluff. Sounded very <laughs> much. Uh, very funny. Like a in an existing song. We, we still have syllabub chocolate bells to listen to later. Awesome. That's something to look forward to. Before you tell us what happened with San Diego, since I mentioned an Ariana Grande song, uh, Lorne Michaels of Saturday Night Live has uh, sent Pete Davidson off for help, or is attempting to, and cut him out of all the sketches Saturday night when he saw that tweet, realizing that the guy is not in uh, good health. So they had some huh. sketches ready to go that evening in the right at rehearsal. They said, uh, how about you take the night off? Yeah. Yeah, so they're actually concerned he might do something, which I, I don't well, know how else you'd read that tweet that he put Well, of out. course, the guy's troubled. He's obviously terribly troubled. Wow. Wow. Uh, so, listen, I was going to talk. I'm doing a little quick math in my head. San Diego uh, County, fourth, fourth largest homeless uh, population in the country. Wow. Uh, a little change since last year. Um, San Diego County's uh, home, homeless population is it's just under 9,000. As far as they can tell, um, it, it down slightly, but um, not by enough to count. Uh, county was ranked 12th in the nation in 2007, but has risen steadily to uh, to fourth. Uh, now, of course, Jack often gripes about some of these statistics because if they're for cities or even metro areas, I mean, it just it depends. Some cities are, are very constricted in size. Like uh, you know, uh, a uh, San Francisco, some sprawl endlessly, like a like a Los Angeles. Yeah, where they or uh, where they drew the city limits lines a hundred years ago doesn't really make much difference. Yeah, but for what it's worth, New York still has the largest homeless population. 
Interesting. It's almost 79,000 people, followed by L.A. at about fifty grand. Then Seattle, King County, Washington, which I'm about to talk about, which is just over 12,000. Quite a drop. Um, and then you have San Diego County. Then San Jose, Santa Clara City and County, fifth, with uh, around 7,500 people. But so I was curious, I was uh, reading this article in the Seattle Times about the uh, fight against uh, homeless people in Seattle. Well, it's not a fight against homeless people. I mean, that would be, well, it'd be bloody and brief. Um, Battling the homeless problem. Right, exactly. Thank you. Uh, Seeking solutions. And they, as recently as 2015, budgeted about $50 million to address the crisis. That's the annual budget, $50 million. Three years later, the budget calls for $90 million in spending on homeless people. And I'm guessing most of that spending, you could easily look at it and think, that's going to encourage more people to show up. A a large percentage of it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Because it, it makes life easier, more pleasant, more nutritious, healthier, safer for Homeless people, which is, you know, that doesn't make you a bad person wanting to do that. But if your stated makes, goal is to reduce the number of homeless and it's not doing that. Yeah, it ultimately leads to a bad living experience for the people of your town, the taxpayers, the families that live and work there. Right. And a lot of the people at the uh, at the top end of the decision making in all these cities on government policy, they live in the sort of community where they aren't. No homeless people are allowed in there. Right. Right. There are no bums in the gated communities of the elite. But anyway, I did a little quick math on this. If you divide that $90 million by the 12,111 homeless people total in King County, that's the Seattle County, um, it's about $7,500 per person per year that they're spending. And that's everything from shelters and food to cleaning up garbage and picking up needles and what have you. Now, if you are talking about the unsheltered homeless people, which is probably, I don't know if that's fair, but um, because the money's being spread around all sorts of people, there's 90 million divided by 6,320. Are you using uh, an abacus, or what are you, how are you doing? No, I'm that? using my iphone, my iphony. Uh, it's over $14,000 per person per year. And the number of homeless people just keeps increasing in King County, and indeed, it's well documented that where there are the most, quote-unquote, enlightened programs for homeless people, it's increasing uh, the most quickly. You know, it's not a 100% correlation because, you know, there, well, there are various geographic factors and the rest of it, but it's, it's such a difficult nut to crack because is Seattle's increase in homelessness, you ask the social justice warrior, pierced, dyed-haired uh, numbskulls of Seattle, not that I'm against dyed hair or piercings, um, but you ask them why the increase in homelessness, and they'll say, it's the patriarchy, man. It's white supremacy. It's, uh, you know, the, the system. I did tear down the system. And you've listen taken, to Karl Marx. You've taken on the vocal inflection of the marijuana enthusiast for some reason. Yeah, perhaps coincidentally, but, but it's also undeniable that where it is the best to be homeless, you get more and more homeless people. Yeah. So, and I learned something with an encounter with a homeless person on uh, going through the legal system that there is a great encouragement in some states and counties around the country where they don't want homeless people around. They ship them to 
cities and counties where they know they will stay to get right. them out of their city or county. <clears throat> right. I want to live in one of those cities or counties where you're bussing the homeless out as opposed to one of those where they're welcoming them in and saying, bring your friends. Right. You know, this brings us back to the great Armstrong and Getty principle of the homeless problem. We need to nail down, and some counties have actually done a pretty solid job of this, nail down who's who among the, the homeless. The Trustafarian crowd, the kind of doesn't want to work, they're just bums. They're lazy, they're undisciplined, they make bad decisions, they're drunks. Now, I'm not talking about people who drink to deal with profound mental illness. I'm talking about bums. There should be no services available for bums except good, you know, Spartan, boot campy. Listen, I need to quit drinking. It's ruining my life. All right, we'll get you help. Got to be nothing for bums. Now, the profoundly mentally ill, the physically handicapped, the people who need help, I got uh, generosity on top of generosity for them. But we've got to attack the parts of the problem we can solve while not fertilizing the parts of the problem we claim to be solving. Well, yeah, currently in cities that they're where they're trying to help, using my finger quotes, you're just growing the problem. So that is not working. Right? Uh, we'll be watching this in the year 2019, I have a feeling. You are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.